0: Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Keep looking at Jesus. 5, Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. And verse three, and not only this, but we also celebrate. In our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, character and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. you don't don't have to look at me you don't have to look at me but I'm gonna I'm gonna read and do what I feel like the Lord wanted me to talk about but you just keep looking at Jesus Peter said in in Acts 11 when he went to Cornelius' house he said in Acts 10 it says it says that Peter got into the middle of his speech and the Holy Spirit fell in Acts eleven, Peter's retelling the story, and he said, "When I started speaking, the Holy Spirit fell." He said, "I didn't even get started, and the Holy Spirit took over." So you don't look at me. In Romans five, Paul is, um, Paul is coming off of Romans four, obviously. In Romans four, Paul is talking about, um, Paul is talking about Abraham. Pastor Matt preached this a couple weeks ago. He's talking about Abraham believed and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He He believed and it was accredited to him. He believed and it was accredited to him. He believed and it was accredited to him. All throughout Romans 4, Paul talks about the belief of Abraham and by faith, it was accredited to him as righteousness. He Ends chapter four by saying, "Now we who have Christ, we believe, and it will also be accredited to us." Um, and that's where Paul picks up at the beginning of Romans five. So he's saying, "Therefore," so the "therefore" is the all of the 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 theme of chapter four. It is by faith believing and being accredited as righteous. Does that make sense? So that is the That is the setting of verse 1 in chapter 5. Paul is saying, therefore, in other words, all of chapter 4 is the backdrop. The belief of Abraham, not the works of Abraham. In fact, Paul goes into great detail in chapter 4 to make sure that the readers in Rome do not think it's the works of Abraham. It is the belief of Abraham. Paul says that Abraham was justified before circumcision. Because the Jewish people would think... Uh, Or the Judaizers um, would preach that circumcision was what justified or made Abraham righteous. And Paul goes into great detail to explain in the first four chapters, specifically in chapter four, that that Abraham was justified or made righteous before circumcision. That circumcision was the seal of righteousness, that circumcision was the sign of righteousness. Just like in our new circumcision, old covenant circumcision was a circumcision of flesh. New covenant circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. The new covenant circumcision does not happen as a means into righteousness. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit circumcise the heart of the believer as they're being made righteous. You're made righteous, you're saved, and as you're saved, you're given a new heart, and your heart is circumcised. And Paul says that Abraham did not get circumcised, and that made him righteous. This is a big deal. It is not the works that make us righteous. It is not works that make us righteous. It is belief. It is faith that makes us righteous. Why is that a big deal? Because faith doesn't come from me. Faith comes from God. Faith only comes from God. Hebrews says that Jesus himself is the author of faith. Only Jesus can birth faith. If you have faith, it's a gift from Jesus. You're welcome. If you have faith, it's a gift. Uh, Romans, Paul goes on to say that everyone has been given a measure of faith. You were born with a measure of faith as a gift. And as you lean into that faith, Jesus births more faith. But the the belief, the, 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 the stepping into that belief only comes through faith. Why? Because it's not of me. The salvation's not of me. The redemption's not of me. The righteousness isn't of me. It's only by His finished work. So the therefore is the backdrop. uh, The backdrop of the therefore is chapter four. So Paul says, oh, gosh. Therefore, having been justified by faith. There it is by faith again. Justified. um, Justified is a legal term. It's a good old biblical term. It's a legal term. It's a judiciary term. It is the it is the declaration of a judge declaring someone innocent. It is a it is a ruling judge saying you are innocent. Um, Lots of people teach that justified is just if I'd never sinned, that the father looks at you as just if I'd never sinned. But the apostle actually taught us years ago. I love this. Apostle taught us years ago that justified is actually better than just if I'd never sinned. If you had never sinned, it would be natural for the father to look at you as innocent. If you had never committed a sin, the father would have no no other right than to look at you as innocent. The problem is you have sinned. You have fallen into the trap of sin. You have fallen into the, the, the guilt of sin. Justified is better than justified never sinned. Justified is you have sinned and the father has seen your sin and because of the power and the mercy and the grace of the blood of Jesus, he has still decided to declare you innocent. That is justified. That is the power of justification. It is that despite all of my sin that the all-knowing God has seen in the past, He has chosen to take my sins, as the Scripture says, and put them as far away as the east is from the west. That's a really far way. That's a really far way. The scripture said He has thrown them into the sea of forgetfulness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And we should never be so saved that we forget the power of our justification. We should never become so churched, so learned, so doctrinized, so theologically intellectual that we forget that we were sinners, now we're saints who have been justified and declared innocent because a lamb was slain and the blood was enough. Come on, that's the gospel. That is the good news. We're going to stand before a holy God one day and he's going to open a book. And instead of judging me for my sin, he's going to declare me innocent because blood was shed on an altar. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. And that is the word that was, is, and will forever be preached through the ages. That the blood of the lamb was enough to throw my sins into a sea of forgetfulness. That's the gospel. Not that the father sees me as if I've never sinned, but that he knows I sinned and chose to forgive me because his son's blood was that powerful. That is the gospel. And it is not entered into because I did my daily devotions this morning. It is by faith, Paul says. It is by faith. And if by faith in Jesus I entered in, then by faith in Jesus I stay. That means if I skip my devotional this morning because the kids were acting crazy or like Graham, they wake up before the sun this morning and we've got to scramble and deal with that, then I'm not kicked out of justification because I missed the daily devotional. Does that make sense? And I don't have to run to the altar this morning and beg the Father to be justified because I missed prayer time or I missed Bible time or I missed worship time today or this week or whatever it may be. I don't have to run up here and shed tears and say, I hope I'm still justified, Father, because I didn't check off the box this morning or I didn't check off the box this afternoon. I am justified by faith. Now, the fruit of that faith ought to be a life where I want to live in communion with them, where I want to live in communion with the Holy Spirit, and I want to grow in my faith. But it is only by faith that I am justified, and by faith I stay justified. That's good news. My trips and my stumbles cannot kick me out of my justification. If I got in by faith, then I've got to renounce my faith to get out. I can't trip hard enough to get out. Thank God. Thank God. We, all, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's incredible. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. James says, which is super encouraging, James says that the one who makes himself a friend with the world makes himself an enemy with God. If you're a friend with the world, you're an enemy with God. But through faith in Jesus, I have peace with God. I have peace with God. There is tranquility in the Greek. There is harmony in the Greek. God and I are good. Me and the Father are good. Again, again the old mindset of, of, of I hope I'm still saved today because of my trips from yesterday. I don't have to do that dance anymore. I don't have to do that dance anymore, because in Jesus I am secure. If my peace comes in Jesus, then if Jesus is the peacemaker, then He is the peacekeeper. If He is the one who made the peace, then He is the one who keeps the peace. In Romans eight, Paul would would say, "What can separate us from the love of God?" And he would give a whole giant list just to clarify. He would say, "Life, death." Angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other thing in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's better than your response. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not your neighbor, not your mistakes, not your sin. It cannot separate you from the love of God. Michael Culliano said, if one of the seraphims stopped circling him and worshiping him and said, I have a case against Brandon Thomas, I think such and such and so and so, Jesus wouldn't entertain it. He wouldn't entertain it because nothing in all of creation can separate me from his love in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate me. Because he not only makes the peace, he keeps the peace. He holds the peace. And we have got to stop living this life where it's I'm good with God today and I'm not good with God today and I'm good with God this week and I'm not good with God this week. And I went on a three-day fast this week, so me and God are good. And I haven't went on a fast in three months, so me and God aren't good. And I'm living this seesaw Christian life where sometimes me and God are good and sometimes me and God aren't good. I am in Christ, the Scripture says. I am hidden in Christ, the Scripture says. Me and God are good. You and God are good if you are in Christ. And I don't have to live this, sometimes I'm good and sometimes I'm condemned. Paul starts Romans 8, by the way, with there's no condemnation. He ends Romans 8 with what can separate us from the love of God. By faith. By faith. Okay, here's what I wanted to get to. Are you still alive? I haven't even gone that long. We're okay, right? One person. All right. Where was I? Through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Paul wants you to know it's by faith. That word introduction, um, it, it could be translated Access. Paul's saying we have access into this grace. That grace he's talking about is our salvation. Paul's saying the only reason we're in this salvation, the only reason we have access into salvation is because of Jesus. It's by faith in Jesus. It's by faith through grace, through the empowerment of grace in which we stand. Here we go. And we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. That glory that Paul's talking about is future state glory. He's talking about the revealed glory of God in the future state. That word for celebrate, uh, I think the King James says rejoice. We have joy. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says, I boast. So we rejoice. We have joy. We boast about this future hope that we are going to see the glory of God face to face one day. Why does he say that? Because in verse 1 and 2, he's talking about we're good with God. We're justified. We're good with God. We're declared innocent. We are totally safe in God. We have peace with God. We're tranquil with God. And the fruit of that is in our hearts, we have a cry that says, I'm going to see him one day. And that cry is erupting out of our hearts. It is natural for the bride to cry to see the bridegroom. It's natural. It is natural. When Lauren and I first got engaged, well, when we were engaged, I moved to Charlotte, and I lived in Charlotte for six months by myself. I took a job in Charlotte. I was living in Charlotte for six months while she was finishing up wedding planning. And so we were separated for six months. We did not see each other. We'd been together for, I don't know, an eternity before that. So for six months, we didn't see each other except for once, maybe, maybe twice. And this was was kind of pre-Facetime. It was before FaceTime really took off. So we had like old school talk on the phone or text message. Like there wasn't FaceTime. And so for six months, we didn't see each other until our wedding week. The wedding week is the first time we saw each other, basically, until we got married. There was a cry in our hearts that we wanted to see each other, a longing that we wanted to see each other. It was natural for the bride to cry from her heart to want to see the bridegroom. It is not natural for the bride to complain about how bad the world is around her that the bridegroom also loves, by the way, and want to escape out. It is natural for the bride to want to see the bridegroom. It is not natural for the bride to say, this is so awful, I can't make it anymore, I've got to get out of here. Are you all awake today? Good Lord, I'm coming down there. I told the nine, you all do better when I'm down there. I think you're nervous. What i am going to do next? It is not natural for the bride to complain about the planet that the bridegroom loves and say this place is so awful that he told us to be busy working in and say I can't wait to get out of this horrific place. Would you please throw up the bat signal and come get us? But it is natural for the bride to say, I can't wait to see your face. I cannot wait to behold you. I cannot wait to lay at your feet. I cannot wait to see the holes in your hands and the scars in your feet. I cannot wait to wrap my arms around you and feel your back that was wounded for my transgressions and my healings. I cannot wait to see you. And there is a big difference in those two cries. And the church has forsaken one and adopted the other. We have forsaken the cry of the bride and adopted the cry of the long lost child that's crying, please come help, I'm abandoned. We've forgotten that the God of the universe lives on the inside of us. And the cry of the Holy Spirit is, I can't wait to see my beloved. I can't wait to see my beloved. That's the cry of the Holy Spirit, not get me out of here. The cry of the Holy Spirit is, I want to see my beloved. Okay. So we celebrate in hope of the future glory of God, that we're going to see him face to face. Now, hang on a second. Verse three. And not only this, not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations. We also celebrate in our tribulations. Our tribulations, our pressings. We don't like the word tribulations. It's just in the Greek, it just means pressings. That's all it means. If you don't like that word, it just means pressings, the things that press on you in life. It doesn't have to mean your world's coming to an end. If it's pressing on you, it's a tribulation. Here's the interesting part. That word for celebrate in verse 3, it's the same word that Paul uses for celebrate in verse 2. Not only is it the same word, it's used in the exact same way. He uses the same word in verse 2 and in verse 3. And he uses it in the same tense, in the same mood, in the same plurality, in the same person. He uses the exact same Greek word in the exact same Greek way. I'm just going to throw this out here. Paul, who is one of the smartest men of his day probably knew more than one word for celebrate or joy or rejoice or boasting. There are plenty of Greek words that he could have chose from. But he chose to use the exact same word in the exact same way. Why? Can I just surmise it to this? To the same degree that you are called to rejoice that you're going to see Jesus face to face one day, to that same degree you're called to rejoice when pressings show up. To the same degree. To the same degree. I don't do that. I don't do that. We know theologically. We know We know from a headspace. I'm not supposed to complain when the trouble shows up. I got that. I know I'm not supposed to complain. I know I'm not supposed to go to the Lord and whine. I, I know I'm not supposed to do that. But I do not celebrate it. I don't celebrate it. Why am I supposed to celebrate it? Because what the rest of the verse says. Tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance. Proven character. Proven character. Hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that Pressings or tribulations or trouble Is meant to be transformative in your life It's meant to be transformative It shows up in a box Wrapped with a bow That says destruction on it But the Father doesn't see it that way The Father sees it as transformative The Father sees it as transformative You want me to prove it? Look at Romans 8 How many of you can quote Romans 8.28? Everybody in here, I'm sure. Let's read it together. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Do you know verse 29? Do you know 29? Are you still alive? For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined he called. Whom he called he justified. Whom he justified he glorified. So what is 28 saying? Verse 29 says, "For why? How does he work all things together for the good? Or why does he work all things together for the good? Because he's shaping you into the image of his son. He's shaping you into the image of Jesus. That sounds glorious. Do you know how Jesus learned obedience according to the scripture? Through the things he suffered. Through the things he suffered. Jesus, according to the scripture, who by the way didn't do anything wrong ever. So don't for a moment think that you're Sufferings or your tribulations or your trials are punishment from the Father because you messed up. Because that is not what the Father does. It's called life and it's called an adversary. It's called life and an adversary. If the Son of God, who was perfect in every way, had to suffer, then we are going to have to suffer some. I know this isn't like rah-rah, throw your pom-poms up, but this is this is what the Lord is doing in us. He is conforming us into the image of His Son by taking everything labeled destruction and using it for transformation. He's using it to shift us and mold us and shape us and change us to look more like Jesus at the end of the day. That's what He's doing. He is transforming us to look like the Son of God through what the enemy plotted for destruction. When stuff that shows up, when stuff shows up that's good, I don't need the Lord to turn it for good. I don't need the Lord to turn my raise for my good. I got it from there. I can turn the raise for my good. I just deposit it. Thank you, Jesus. I'll pay the tithe and I'll give a little extra even. Come on, Lord. Do it. Yes, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need the raise turned for my good. I need it turned for my good when I pull up the account and there is no money there and bills are flooding in and people get sick and stuff is broken and I got to replace stuff and repair stuff and return stuff. I need him to turn that for my good. That's what He turns for good. And when He's turning it for good, He says, come here and let me mold you and shape you and form you to make you look like Jesus in the midst of this. It's not that I celebrate that it hurts, but I celebrate because in the midst of it, I know something is being transformed through it. I don't celebrate that I'm in it. I celebrate that in the midst of it, God is doing something. God is doing something. Okay. I guess it's for me. God is doing something. But how? Look what Paul says. This is super interesting to me. Paul says, uh, tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. Hope does not disappoint. Paul doesn't say, um, Paul does not say tribulation might bring about perseverance. But it's not always the case that that tribulation brings about perseverance. Is it? Has tribulation always brought about perseverance in your life? It has not in mine. Tribulation has not always brought about perseverance in my life. And perseverance has not always brought about proven character in my life. It has revealed some character. And oftentimes that character, I've got to go talk to the Lord about it. And we've got to deal with some character issues. And oftentimes it does not bring about hope. Most of the time, and I'm ashamed to admit this, most of the time, tribulation brings about stress and anxiety and fear. And fear produces worry and worry produces doubt. That's usually the line of progression. But Paul seems very confident. He does not say it might. He says it will. How? How does that happen? How in the world does tribulation... How is Paul so confident that tribulation is going to produce perseverance? Look at what he says at the end. Perseverance, proven character, hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The love of God has been poured out. Has been poured out. When pressings show up, there are a lot of variables. There are a ton of variables. There's what's going to happen... When's it going to happen? Where's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Who's going to be the one that it happens through? What is the Lord going to do in this situation? The one variable that you can count on is the Holy Spirit who has been poured out. How is Paul so confident that tribulation is going to produce perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope? Because he points them to the Holy Spirit who has been already poured out. He's saying the source of the transformation is the Holy Spirit who is already on your side. He's already living on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit who is dwelling on the inside of you. He is the one who works the transformation. It is the Holy Spirit who is the one who takes us from tribulation to perseverance to proven character to hope. Only the Holy Spirit can work that transformation. Only the Holy Spirit is the one who can take me and mold me and shape me and form me. Only the Holy Spirit. It is only Him. An encounter with Him that can cause me to become molded into the image of Jesus. Only an encounter with Him. And if I ignore the God who lives on the inside of me, I'll miss the opportunity to be transformed. I'll miss the opportunity to be transformed. He lives on the inside of me to make me like Jesus. He lives on the inside of me to make me like Jesus. The problem is when pressings come, the first reaction is to turn my eyes towards the distractions. When the Lord wants me to turn my affection inwardly, the Lord wants me to turn my attention inwardly because it is here that the transformation takes place. And when the encounter happens, when I meet with him, most of the time, this stuff doesn't change right away. Oftentimes, this stuff remains unfazed, but I'm changed. Perseverance doesn't move my bills. Hope doesn't move my kids, but it moves me. It moves me to a place Where I can be assured that regardless of whether this stuff out here moves or not, I won't be moved. I won't be moved. Hebrews uh, Hebrews 6 says that our hope is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. A sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. I've got to get to the place where I remain sure and steadfast. Not because I'm determined or I'm, I'm headlong into this thing, but because I've yielded to the holding of an anchor. It is the holding of the anchor that keeps me immovable. It keeps me immovable. But it only happens. It only happens by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Because I work with people every day. You work with people every day. I go to the store with people every day who are in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of pressing, in the midst of all kinds of hell that's breaking out in their life. And it is not producing perseverance. It's producing, it's producing a crushing. It's producing a crushing. And the difference is there's a person on the inside of you. A person on the inside of you who's working a change. Who's working a change? Okay, I'm done. You can stand up. Challenge is that Paul doesn't say. Um, Paul doesn't say stand in the midst of tribulation. Now he talks about putting on the armor of God in Ephesians, and he says, "Having done all, stand." I could do that. I could stand in the midst of tribulation. I got that. Paul doesn't say deal with tribulation. He doesn't say put up with tribulation. He doesn't say. He doesn't say don't complain about tribulation. He says celebrate. Rejoice in tribulation. There's a big difference. The command from the Lord is to rejoice in tribulation. It is to rejoice in tribulation. It is challenging. It is impossible in our humanity. Again, it's the same word that Paul uses in Second Corinthians 12. When Paul says, I will boast or celebrate or rejoice in my weaknesses. Why? That's that's silly. Why would you do that? Because Paul understood. And he goes on to tell us that in his weakness, it made room for God to do something that he was unable to do. Yes, this pressing is terrible. It's awful. I can't stand it. This season in this house is frustrating. If I could throw the microphone and get away with it, I would. It's frustrating. It's aggravating. But the requirement is to celebrate because God is doing something in the middle of it. There's a molding that's happening that couldn't happen otherwise. And it's not that God sent it. It is not that God purposed it, but God is here in the midst of it. He's standing in the middle of it with arms wide open and He's wrapping them around His people and around His family and around His children and in the middle of what feels like the worst hell we've ever walked through that will not end. God, I've prayed prayers. Every prayer I know to pray. And it will not break, but God is not done molding yet. God is not done molding yet. And He refuses to pull something out of a mold before it's set. Do you know what happens if you pull something out of a plastic mold before it's set? It melts, it just shrivels, it falls apart. Oh, I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus. He's molding something and he's not done yet. And what the enemy sent that said destruction all over it, God rewrote and said transformation. Let me, Hebrews 11, verse 21. Whoa. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, God, it feels like death, as he was dying, he blessed each of his sons of Joseph. And he worshipped, leaning on the ta- top of his staff. It's weakness. God, this season is weakness and it hurts and it's painful. But I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to lean into the weakness of the season. And I'm going to worship anyways. Because when I do, God will be glorified. He will have the reward of his suffering in this season. We give you glory. You're worthy. You're worthy! You're worthy! You're worthy! Oh! You're worthy! Finish what you started! Finish what you started! Finish what you started. And if. If. If we have to go through it. We might as well come out looking like. The son of God. If we have. To walk through hell. We might as well come out looking like the son of God. If. If. We have to endure for a season. We might as well come out looking like He intended for us to look. Could it be? Oh, could it be that God could take the worst that the enemy had and turn it to bring the greatest transformation the church has ever seen? Could it be? Could it be? That these light afflictions which last but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Could it be that God is still up to something? Could it be that God really is still God? Could it be that Jesus is really still on the throne? So Lord, as a house, as a people, as a body, as a family, We worship you. We rejoice for the pressings, for the pressure, for the tribulations, for the trials. We count it all joy. We count it all joy. We count it all joy knowing that we are coming out. We are coming out. This is not the last page of this story. Oh, this is not the last page of this story. Oh. oh. And I lean. I lean into the weakness today, Jesus. We lean into the weakness today, Jesus. And we worship, we worship, we worship, we worship. Come on, it's not a passive thing. It's not a passive thing. I worship you. Oh, I give you glory. Oh, I give you glory, Jesus. I give you honor and I give you praise. You're worthy of my worship. When I'm sick in body, I give you worship. When I don't understand, I give you glory. When it doesn't make sense, I give you honor. When the prayers aren't met, I give you praise, Lord. I give you worship. I give you worship. Oh, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're still worthy of it all. 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 You're worthy of it all. Whew. You're worthy of it all. Mm. Mm. You're, still worthy. You're still worthy. You're still worthy. Still worthy. Still worthy. Still worthy. Still worthy. Still worthy. Still worthy of it all. Still worthy of it all. Still worthy of it all. You're still worthy of it all. Oh. Mm. <laughs> you're worthy. Oh, you're worthy. The king is here. The king is here. Oh, I'd get my eyes on the king. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. Come on, for this house and your house. You're worthy. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.